there regarding, you know, the cultural revolution that we're experiencing and people pushing back against that. And so um, we have Catherine Cronus, Julia Malott, and Chanel Fall with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've had conversations with each of you individually on this channel. So if people are interested in going back and hearing a little bit more of what you have to say, they can search you. And I'm sure you'll give your, hopefully your contact info that you want to put out Twitter or your socials, but also you can look at this channel and have um, a little bit more in-depth insight. But um, first, David, do you want to start us off with the Solid Ground blurb? Yeah, thanks, Leslie. So I'll just introduce Solid Ground. Solid Ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, CSJ, aka woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideolo ideologies and to answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups from only $5 per month. To find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note, Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such. Excellent. Thank you so much. And we, we do this live stream weekly Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific. We are taking next week off. So I know I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, but just a reminder, we won't be here next week. And we usually have Jennifer Friend with us. She's not here today. Jody's here today. Thanks for being here, Jody. And uh, so would uh, Catherine, Julia, and Chanel, would you mind just giving a, a just a quick intro, of, introduce yourself really quickly for anybody who may not be familiar with you, and then we can jump right in. Catherine, would you like to go first? Sure. Hi, my name is Catherine Cronus. I've been organizing parents and educators across Canada for two and a half years uh, with a network that I founded called Lighthouse Network. That's how I met both uh, Julia and Chanel. I also ran for school board trustee um, for my um, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board in Ontario. And I am actually, as we speak, I'm trying to get on the parent council there too at my son's school. And just really, really involved in trying to organize parents and you know fighting back on these, um, these important issues. And where can people find your work if they wanna follow what you're doing? Sure, you can find the website lighthouseforum.ca. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's pretty much the best place at Catherine Cronus. Excellent. Julia? Hello, my name is Julia Malott. Um, I am transgender and I got involved in a lot of these discussions a few years ago, also running for a school board trustee here in Canada. Um, and yeah, over the last few years, I've been really concerned with what I've been seeing in terms of the intersection of critical social justice and transgender matters in particular. Um, and so, I do a video blog called A Lot of Thoughts, where I explore many of the kind of tenets of that ideology in a more accessible manner. I don't use the word ideology or any of the any of the stuff in the literature. I try to boil it down to the fundamentals. Um, I also write opinion pieces for the National Post, which is Canada's largest center center right newspaper. Um, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube under A Lot of Malata, which is very difficult to spell. But if you search Julia Malat, then you'll find me. Chanel? Hi, I'm Chanel Fall. I am 30 years old. I taught high school for a couple years, um, 2017 to 2021. Um, I ended up getting in some trouble because I made some, I made a, a Facebook comment in a, <laughs> in a private Facebook group in uh, Jan, uh, January of 2021 or February of 20, 
21, I can't remember. Um, basically, I opposed critical race theory and I said that school should be uh, nonpartisan, not political and all that stuff. Somebody reported me and then I got investigated and then I basically just doubled down. So now what I do is I expose a lot of what's happening in schools. I also ran for trustee uh, last fall with Catherine and also with Julia um, in different uh, regions. None of us got elected, unfortunately, but we, uh, I don't know, maybe next time around. I don't know if you guys are still considering it, but <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Shan Elfa, like Julia, it's hard to spell, but I did put it on the screen there, or you could just type my name, Fall, P-F-A-H-L. <laughs> Excellent. And we have a Canadian in the chat so far, at least one. Seawolf says, hello from Vancouver Island. I was at the Megan Murphy event last night. Hello, Seawolf. And I think you guys are on different sides of the continent, but still, um, still, there's a lot going on in Canada. And the it's the marches that were happening last week, the Millions March for Children, is, is that the correct name for the marches? I was seeing a lot of these, what was it, Chanel? One Million March for Children. One Million March for Children. And I, I watched, um, all of you had a lot of coverage of this on your Twitter and there were just a bunch of um it was really encouraging to see so many people turning out does somebody want to kind of set that up and introduce what what's going on and what's this movement about go ahead julia oh i've been nominated lovely um yeah it's a tough question to answer because there's a lot of people involved in like most grassroots movements i don't think you get the same answer depending on who you ask um my observation is that there has been a lot of frustration with the school system up in uh, in Canada for a number of years in terms of the lack of agency and autonomy that parents are extended when it comes to their children. And that, that spans in a lot of different directions, but there's been particular focus in the last eight to 12 months um, on the, the gender identity, gender ideology side of that in terms of what's being taught, in terms of how it's being taught, in terms of what resources are available to students um, in terms of how social transitions are brokered at, at school, whether parents are involved, informed, or have any say in what's happening at all, uh, in terms of medical transition for children, in terms of if that's allowed, and if so, how that's allowed. And uh, this, this march that took place on September 20th, I would say was the, the first time we've seen kind of large scale organization. There's been many grassroots organizations that have been speaking about this for a long time um, with their own particular purviews, whether that's geographically or from a particular slant or angle. But in this September, we saw a lot of them come together unified. Um, and, and it was actually organized by um, several different Muslim leaders um, with various organizations, which, which is new, I would say. When I've looked at the last 12 to 15 months, we haven't seen that much involvement from the Muslim community on these matters, but they, they mobilized and they, they put this together. And so parents got together, parents and other community members in various cities across Canada. I think there was almost 95 sites in total, if I remember correctly. And how each of those sites played out, of course, depended on the location. Some were very, very large and had many thousands of people. Some were much, much smaller, um, but usually there was some element of protest and some element of march that, that took place. It's, it's really encouraging to see the uh, mobilization up there. But we saw Canada, the trucker convoy that the trucker protest was massive. And I guess there's this, stereotype of Canadians as being really nice and and so is there is there a reason why 
is Canada more falling to the ideological capture for any particular reason? And is there what's the spirit in Canada around this? Because we, we see the both maybe a little bit of an intensity in terms of how much ideological pressure is coming down on Canadians, but then you also see these really beautiful collections of citizens coming together. And so I'm I'm curious what what are your thoughts on that? Catherine, do you that do you sounds like a Catherine question to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's a lot uh, with that. Um, I think that Canada is obviously very much more ideologically left than the United States. And so that's part of been like the current for many, many years. So uh, for Canadians to be able to recognize even what's going on um, as, as, as a problem, it's been a little bit of a challenge to, you know, wake up sort of like the, the moderates to, to what's happening. Um, I think though that the pandemic was eye-opening for, for many Canadians and this is, you know, this is why we had the, you know, ended up with the trucker convoy where parent, where people were completely fed up with what was happening. And since then, those groups that were fighting sort of around the vaccine and the mask mandate issues have sort of um, become awakened to what was happening with sort of the gender ideology in schools and the other ideological movements in schools like critical race theory. So I think like this, what happened this past week was quite amazing because it, it did seem to spring out of almost, not out of nowhere, but like a lot of new groups were, were, were popping up and, and sort of jumping on this bandwagon, groups that we had never heard of before and people, people participating in the protests who would never be caught protesting in the, in the past. Um, and in, indeed myself, I would say that I'm not a, necessarily a protest person. I attended the convoy and I was protesting gender ideology at the convoy um, where with uh, alongside uh, Billboard Chris, if you guys know who Billboard Chris is. Um, but, um, and so this week was really quite exciting, but it was also, nobody knew what to expect in terms of how successful it was gonna be. I participated in the one, uh, the, the, the March in Toronto, and I can tell you it was very ideologically diverse and ethnically diverse. And it was very, very interesting to see that um, everybody was there for, I mean, I was there to, you know, for parental rights and parental rights was supposed to be the, the crux of the issue and the reason for the march to make sure that parents are informed of what's happening in their schools and to make sure that their children are not exposed to uh, gender ideology if you know, they don't want, uh, the parents do not want their children to be indoctrinated with gender ideology in schools. Um, that was the, the, the main thrust of the, the march, but other, other people and other groups were there for different reasons. Some were, some were there for um, concerns about, you know, materials in schools and, and, and library books that are, um, you know, considered quite graphic or offensive. Um, I don't know if Chanel wants to jump in and add more to what I was saying. Chanel, you're still no. muted there. Oh. And you're always going to do that. Um, no, like I think you covered it quite well. Um, and Julia, too, just talking about how we all came together from different spheres and, and whatnot. And I just feel like, as somebody who's out there with my Twitter DMs open, and I'm pretty bad at getting bad, back to people, but I, I try my best. But um, I've just had an influx of people who are like, okay, what can I do? Like, who, do you know someone in this area? Or like they are just getting activated and it's really nice to see. Um, I think there is a lot of education needed like in terms of 
just what is happening in schools. Like some people will say, oh, no, no, you can just opt out of sex ed, which is true in Ontario, for example. And um, in uh, BC, I think is the same. You can opt out um, if you want, but this is, we're talking the actual curriculum, like the phys ed curriculum. But what they have to understand is that woke ideology is just pervasive. It's in every subject from K to 12, and you cannot opt out of that. Um, so I think people need to understand that because a lot of people are saying, uh, like, for example, I had a message last week from a teacher in New Brunswick saying, oh, it's really good. I think they're going to, I think they're going to put in an opt out of sex ed now. Like they're working on that apparently. And I'm just like, no, I think that's actually a really bad thing because it's going to give a lot of people false hope. And they're just going to say, oh, good. Like we don't have to worry about this anymore. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So. Right, it comes in through all the anti-bullying um, policies and the and and every board in Ontario, well, actually in in Canada, but we'll we'll just keep the focus on what's happening in Ontario because that's where we're we're from and that's the system that we know the best. We have the Ontario Human Rights Commission. They, you know, they're saying that um, all boards must. Uh, sorry, the the Ministry of Education needs to follow what the Ontario Human Rights Commission is saying in Ont Ontario, and the Minister of Education, Ministries of Education have uh, basically dictated to each board that they must have human rights and equity policies um, and basically these anti-bullying policies uh, in, in the schools. So this is coming in at every assembly. This is coming in during, like Chanel was saying, at every classroom, certainly on weeks like Trans Awareness Week and Pride Month and you know every single Rainbow Day, these sort of um, the ability to sort of pop in gender ideology into the, the curriculum or into the classroom is what's happening. Um, and the thing about it is, this is the thing, is that it really depends, when you send your kid child to school, it really depends on what teacher your child has. Because if you have an activist teacher who has been basically just fresh out of, um, you know, uh, teachers college fully indoctrinated into this stuff as well and particularly the younger teachers they, they want they want to work hard they want to please uh, they think they're doing something good then your child is going to be exposed more so than perhaps a more like classically liberal minded teacher who does not want to actually broach these topics uh, at all in the classroom so it, it's it's really about parents have to get getting to know their teacher who their teacher is uh, what they're sort of how how politically fervent they are, um, and you know, and basically follow them on social media and see what they're posting as well. Because a lot of the, the more the more activist teachers love to brag about what they're teaching in the classroom on social media, as Chanel will know because that's what she posts about almost exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of the content that you've been posting lately, Chanel, and it's just really shocking these slides. I don't know how it's not making more of a wave than it is. Like I get that like people, people are upset about it. It gets like a thousand likes, 2000 likes and people are like, oh, and then it just stopped. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand how this is allowed. Like people, okay. These math teachers at, at the York board, which is, uh, well, anyway, not, not in Julia's region, not in Catherine's region, but near Toronto. Um, and 
anyway, the, the, each school has a math leader or more than one math leader. And they go to this math network thing like every month or whatever, a couple times throughout the year. So for this, obviously you can imagine they get taken out of their class. So they, they need to pay a supply teacher. They need to still pay these teachers. They need to also pay the people training them. And it's supposed to be for learning math or like focusing on math curriculum changes or new resources or new research and stuff like that. What it actually is, which I was about to post about this morning. And unfortunately I had like an eight paragraph tweet that I deleted by accident. So I have to restart, but um, it's gonna come out today. But um, it, it basically they, they sit there and they do 90% CRT all year. That's all they do is they, they learn about oppression and about how this, the education is furthering white supremacy. They have to literally sit there and they, they, you might have seen it actually. I posted this one picture like a month or two ago. It's a picture that you have to accept that the institution of education is a tool for maintaining and furthering white supremacy. You have to accept that you will sit in discomfort and blah, blah, blah. And like, there's just all of these things that teachers are just supposed to sit through, not say anything. And like, <laughs> I, I, I don't- These are trainings for the teachers? These, yeah, these... for math teachers. Like okay. of the teachers, teachers aren't, and they aren't saying anything. It sounds like there's an incentives for this, right? Weren't you? Catherine, weren't you just talking about like that there's like money that the schools are getting and like they have to implement all this equity, all this equity stuff? I mean, that's what's happening here. And, and a lot of it came through the COVID, these COVID recovery bills. I forget what it was called. Like, Perf, like oh, the higher education relief fund or something. Yeah. yeah. And also for the, for lower schools, it was like the pandemic relief money. But mm -hmm. then if you went in and read it, there's all the stuff about equity and um, social justice stuff. And like, you have to, if you accept this money and it was a lot of money, it was like $10 million. I don't know if it was per school or district or some or state, I don't know, but it was a lot of money. So if you didn't agree to implement these little things, you weren't gonna get any of the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm wondering, like, it, it sounds like there's incentives for the schools to be doing this and then they let peer pressure do the rest. Right, it's also like, um, board staff and I think what people what I'm trying to awaken people in in my board like parents in my board is to understand that this the way that the system is structured is like this march this million march for for children it was about parental rights like parents are being excluded from what's happening in the classrooms these procedures and policies are being developed without our our knowledge or consent and the system is set up to keep that in place. In other words, to keep parents in the dark and to keep us out of the conversation. And yes, Jody, there is a number of organizations in Canada that are benefiting from, uh, for example, particularly the gender, the gender ideology, the LGBTQ plus communities. They're receiving millions in, um, in, in federal and provincial funding. So that is, um, that is a, a um, uh, incentive, but also, the board staff that are working, they're making upwards 150, 200, and the director of education are making $300,000. And so they're, um, what's happening is, okay, so Julia and Chanel and I, we ran for school board trustee last year. Trustees are, we would think, are supposed to represent their constituents. 
So you vote for your trustee, your trustee gets the most amount of votes, that, that trustee is supposed to now represent your voice to the board, right? That's, that's the way you think would work, but that's not the way it's working. What's happening is the trustees are being elected. Most of our boards in Ontario have predominantly activist uh, tr trustees. So they're gonna continue with that activist agenda. Um, and any parent, and, and so, and they've got voted in on that activist agenda. And I, I guess they should speak to that activist agenda. But the trustees, like if they were voted in um, and they don't have an activist agenda, what's happening is those trustees are not speaking up for their constituents. They're actually being, so trustees are supposed to make policy. They're supposed to vet policy. They're supposed to talk to their constituents and then go back to the board table and make the policy. It's supposed to, the board is supposed to represent the community. But what's happening is we've got these unelected board staff, superintendents, director of education, equity advisors that are given the policy that the trustees uh, make, come up with the procedure, are given like carte blanche to do whatever they want and parents are not consulted um, and uh, the trustees are not consulted on these procedures. And it's those procedures, for example, we have a gender identity procedure in, in, in my board, Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board, that is very explicit about socially transitioning kids without parental consent, allowing boys to self-ID into girl spaces, into girl sports, et cetera. And parents who are like saying, let's have some discussions about that. We're being completely shut out. The board has even said that they will not discuss it with parents. So you've got the trustees who are supposed to represent the constituents, but what they're really doing is they're representing the board to the constituents. Well, so some the, the powers, sorry, go ahead, Chanel. Some trustees do speak up really quite eloquently and they know what they're standing up for, right? Like classically liberal values and they're brave and they, they do this, but they just get smashed down right away. Like the, the, uh, code of conducts are just weaponized against them all the time. Like example, Linda Stone, you should look that up if you want, or Mike Ramsey, or there's like a lot of others. But um, I just want to not forget that there are some some trustees who are trying to do good work and even then they're not they're not able to get anywhere really. Right. Is there, is there in Canada, like we see in the US of people going, fine, I'm going to pull my kids and go to charter school or go to private. Is that I don't you know don't what percentage schools. Of, so you could do, yeah, okay, so that's not even an option, right? So I guess they could go to a private school maybe, but I'm imagining there's not much supply of that, right? So people are stuck with the situation. Is that yeah, I mean, even private schools, a lot of them are woke. Like they mm -hmm. actually advertise as like being woke. You could just go on their website and they're all about the inequity and stuff like that. And there are some that, that don't push it, but I imagine it's just out of reach like financially for a lot of people, so. Gotcha. You know, I was just listening to this conversation and I'm like, I thank you, Catherine, for saying, naming some of the specific things that are happening, like allowing uh, students to self-ID so they can, boys to self-ID to get into girl, and then they, they have access, full access to girls, carte, carte blanche access to girl spaces. Um, but I was just like imagining somebody watching us right now talking and who's not really who might think, oh my God, they're just a bunch of like right-wing people and they hate, they hate gay people and they hate trans people. Like, like, so, so maybe I think like, I would like to hear, even though I know, and I think a lot of us know, but like, what are some of the actual 
things that parents like a lot of people might hear you say oh lgbtq groups are getting a lot of money and they're getting funny it's like people might be like well what's wrong with that you know so what are the actual things that are happening that parents might have an objection to like specifically what what are these anti-bullying policies and and what are some of the things that are happening in schools julia you want to answer that because you've been a little quiet oh um sure there's there's plenty uh depending on the parent and depending on the angle i'd say the loudest one that we're hearing right now is the social transition in schools without parental consent or, or involvement. So social transition here, referring to name and pronoun changes. Um, and pretty much every school board in Ontario has uh, an explicitly written policy as Catherine described at her board that says that if a child wants to proceed down that transitionary path and doesn't want their parents to be told for any reason, then the school will take an active role in both facilitating that social transition and in preventing the parents from knowing. And I think that the active role part is, is really key here because we're not just saying that if a student does something on the playground and a teacher sees it, you know, they're, whether they're going to take that to the parents or not. We're saying if the student comes forward and says, I, you know, my name is Jason, but I want to go by Julia and I want to use she, her, then the teacher will implement that. They will do that in their classroom in front of all of the other kids. They will let the other teachers know. But everybody also knows that the parents do not know this. The office staff know though that the, uh, if Jason's parents call, it's Jason, it's not Julia. And parents were not aware of that until pretty recently in Ontario. And understandably, a lot of people are quite upset. I am transgender and I can empathize with what the school is trying to do. I'm also a parent <laughs> and I would be very upset if that was happening behind my back because this is not a neutral act because there can be comorbidities and other mental health factors at play. And it's just, it's complex. And while there are certainly lots of opinions on whether children should socially transition at all or not, I personally strongly believe that including the parents in that conversation is important. Yeah, and I just wanna to mention too, like that is the default position. Like if a kid comes to a teacher and says, hey, I wanna go by this pronoun, the default position for that teacher would be to not tell the parents. Like it's not, the kid doesn't have to say, hey, don't tell my parents. That is the default unless the kid gives uh, direct, like it's uh, explicit consent to, to do so. And it's very much an intervention. I mean, it's a psychosocial intervention that's being yeah. performed without the knowledge of the people who know that child best. This reminds me a lot of the mature minor doctrines that have swept through allowing schools to vaccinate children with the children's consent without the parent's knowledge. And I know it's a different, it's a, one's a psychosocial and one's more biomedical, but it's still this, you're, you're removing knowledge of something really important about your child from the people who are going to be the ones who, who would care most about um, the unintended downstream consequences of whatever this act is. So if there's in, in the, in the vaccine case, you know, kid comes home and has some kind of a reaction, parents don't know that that has anything to do with something that's been done to the child. And it just seems like this is a part of a bigger anti-parents rights movement. And yeah, like it's a consent slide. Oh, sorry. I was, I was just, the child belongs to the state. Mm -hmm. like, but, the, but the parents have to pay all the bills and take care of the child and feed the child. But, but we're going to control what the child does and, and we're not going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> right. and it's also an age of consent but, slide, right? Because we just have these things that sooner and sooner and sooner children are having you know, total autonomy over decisions. And the other thing about it is that this has been going on for um, 
and, and parents are just finding out, at least in my board, but I, I would say it's pretty consistent in boards throughout the province, that these sort of policies to not, to not tell parents have been in place for over 10 years. And we are just finding out about it now. We just had a, a like seriously a board meeting um, or like a meeting with the, the chair of the board and she just admitted it just like last month. So we, they, they and they, they did not have anything to explicitly um, presented in terms of policy available on websites. They're not telling parents that this is what's going on. So, you know, the fact that we're just getting wind of this now, 10 years in. Why do you think that is? Oh, it's all done. In, it's done intentionally. They don't want it. They, they, they've been shooing the stuff in um, under these, again, these human rights and equity um, sort of concerns. Now in, in Canada, again, in Ontario, we have the Human Rights Commission. And the boards are saying that these policies, uh, in other words, the policy to socially transition a child without parental consent is, is in keeping with human rights code. But we're saying, well, that there's nothing to say in the human rights code that that is going to uh, basically, um, sorry, discriminate against, uh, you know, gender identity or expression if you were to tell parents about what's happening with their children in school. So, I mean, this is, this is what, this is what the fight is, is, is between the, on the one side, the activists saying, uh, child has rights, child's rights, Trump parental rights. And on the other side, we're saying, well, no, part of what we need to do to protect children, it's part of their child rights is part of having an authority figure take care of them and make sure that they're looked after properly. Oh, sorry. I was just going to no, ask. I was, thinking, I, <laughs> I was just thinking like how how is this rationalized to these people i was just trying to put myself in their shoes like um obviously we can we can we can understand that ultimately there's a there's a push to get state control over kids and remove parents and that's a control thing that how this is rationalized to teachers who who do uh keep parents out i was just thinking is it at the point a child maybe makes the discovery whether they found out from the teacher whether they've been on TikTok or something like that, and they've brought something to the classroom themselves. Do you think there's a, there's a sort of in, like, I don't know if it's implicit or explicit kind of uh, judging that perhaps because that per that child has only just discovered that, and in fact they are a different gender, that that that's a failure by the parents to have allowed, you know, what I mean, to to have to have allowed them an opportunity to be their real gender. That that's a failure because they've only they've they've managed to get to this point without knowing that gender. I don't. I'm just trying to understand how what's they the could rationally. Yeah. What's Absolutely. the rationale? Like, <laughs> it'll be like, well, if you were doing parenting right, like your child would tell you. So obviously, your child has a reason for not telling you and all this stuff. Like it's, and they also weaponize the whole suicide thing, right? Like this is mm -hmm. the rationale for not telling parents. It's like, well. Um, you know, the child needs affirmation, and if the parents aren't going to affirm, then the child will be at risk of suicide and all these things. Um, it's I think there's implied abuse too, like, and and certainly let's let's acknowledge there is abuse, right? Right? Like, I I lived through the '90s, right? Right? Like there there were a lot of kids being sent to these conversion camps, gay kids, um, and it was horrible. It's horrible. Um, and people getting kicked out of colleges. Like I know somebody got kicked out of Wellesley because she was found in a room with another girl and she, she was removed. The, co the college said, you can't stay here. You're a lesbian, forget it. Like it, it was really bad. 
um, and probably is still bad in some cases. Um, so I think that that's, that's probably, I'm, I'm imagining they're, they're using that as justification that, that in order to prevent any possibility of any abuse by the parents, we're, we're, we're going to completely, um, remove any knowledge and it it's tough like like julia said I, I can see it's a complex situation but it it is a major thing and the parent the child will turn 18 at some point right so i, I and i can see what you're saying about the the suicide like that they're going to cause suicide and and i know those statistics are like questionable but if you're assuming a social background, like what you're saying, Jody, like that sort of intolerance, sort of um, anti, anti LGBT sort of background, this very imagine a very conservative sort of thing. Yeah. And then that makes that makes sense in a different way. But once you've started right. to introduce all these ways of encouraging kids to explore this stuff, you've changed the whole milieu in which the kids are growing up. So you've changed the incentives, the pressures. And, and now you're talking about a different, uh, it's a, it's a different Petri dish that the, the child is growing up in. And yeah, like one of the things that keeps coming up is this black and white thinking, like if, if you don't, if you don't support this, then the kids are going to kill themselves. And if you, and if you are against this, then you're anti-trans or you're anti-LGBT. And, you know, so there, there's a lack of nuance in the conversation. And I like what you guys were talking about, the diversity of the the, the people coming out, the diversity of ideology or, or background. And, you know, certainly Julia, you're, you're not standing there as an anti-trans person. And, you know, she still probably gets called anti-trans all the time, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Are you a turf? <laughs> uh, I, I do get that on Twitter sometimes, but, but no, you, you, I think you touched on the, the strongest argument, not strongest, but the most frequent argument that comes up, which is, the, the harm that could be caused to children at home if this is a household that is dangerous. And it, it's a tantalizing argument because it is true. We know those households do exist and we know that there are lots of cases where that could be a problem. Um, I respond to that in two ways. The first thing that I will express is that that's true in a lot of cases um, and we don't hide other things from parents. Uh, an example I've put in an article before is Mark's. You know, how many kids might be at danger of harm if they get a bad report card that comes home. And we are not arguing that we should stop including parents in academic successes out of fear of what might happen in a bad case. Uh, and actually I put that in an article and then I was told that that's incorrect and given some examples where schools have started to do that. So apparently, you know, we're, we're, we're just gonna pull parents out entirely. But you know, my, my argument is we shouldn't do that. Um, and that we have always had mechanisms in place through children's aid services in order to, to handle those tragic and complex cases. And, and that comes to the, you know, the, the other side of this, which is these kids live in this household. And what is the end game plan here? I have been through a social transition and I've been through a surgical and hormonal transition. And if there's anything that makes you more desperate, more excited to continue down the path, it's starting down the path. And so if you start them on a social transition at school and they don't have proper psychological and psychosocial support, they may be excited. They may find this is working and they want to go even further. They're going to have to tell their parents at some point. And now we're not saying, hey, I feel this way. I'm thinking about this, but telling our parents, actually, for two years, I've been going by Julia mm -hmm. and I've already booked an appointment for hormones. Like, and what happens when your 14 year old tells you this? So uh, if 
we're going to have to face the fact that they, they have parents, that they live in this household. And if there really is a danger that they're going to be physically or emotionally abused, then they live in a physically or emotionally abusive household. That is a danger in a lot of ways, because I have not met a single household that is perfectly safe and happy unless someone becomes trans. If there is risk of physical and emotional abuse, then there's a risk of that abuse mm. in so many different ways. So right. and I idea how, how this mistrust of parents I mean, there could be the Marxist angle, but like, it's amazing to me the amount of mistrust of parents that there is uh, going around. And uh, are there other factors other than, you know, the, you could have the Marxist angle of, you know, having the state sort of take over, but it's just, it just blows my mind. Deborah, there's something else though, that, that in terms of the parental consent, because I'm concerned about parent, like parent, parent knowledge for all parents, not just for parents that are like more, traditional or conservative or classically liberal minded. I'm concerned about the parental rights of the people that are that are on the other side of the issue that are more left leaning. And so when you it, it, like in our board, when they say children as young as four, they could socially transition without parental consent. That child, four or five, six years old, uh, might have a very supportive parent at home. How would you know unless you actually ask the parent whether or not they're supportive or not? Number one. Number two, doesn't that parent, if that parent wants to have their own parental rights, aren't they deserved to know what's going on with their child? Because maybe they would want to socially transition their child. Maybe they would actually want to gender affirm their child. And, and by you're taking that away from potentially parents who would be perfectly supportive of that. Now, I disagree with that personally, but if we're going to be talking about parental rights, we need to extend it to those parents as well. So it's not just not just about my rights as a parent. I want them to be able to have input on what's going on in, in their schools. And then Julia also alluded to the fact that um, when you socially transition a child, uh, yeah, great, you're doing it during school hours where they're spending like six hours, but then they have all the time after school, they have weekends, they have summer vacations. So what about consistency of care? doesn't that doesn't that play into um, the concern of the child's well-being so a lot of these questions are things that we're trying to bring to the table and boards across the province are shutting us down and they won't even entertain conversations and those of us who try to bring these issues to the table are being shut out as hateful and in terms of this million march for children that went on uh, this this past week um, um, the boards were coming out with letters um, declaring the protests hateful and all the parents that were participating before as, it even happened. <laughs> and, and then also, again, they reiterated it, like doubled down after it happened. So all the people that are concerned, all the people that have criticisms of what's, what's going on, we are harming people. We are, we are bad people, essentially. I just want to acknowledge really quick that Julia told us ahead of time, she needed to leave it at the half hour mark. So and Jody, you have to leave too? Okay. To, I'm sorry. This is okay. great. Well, thanks for, having thanks for me. being here, Jody. And we're grateful that Julia was able to join us for the first half hour of this as well. Bye, Catherine. Bye, Chanel. Bye, Bye Jody. Jody. Bye, Jody. Yeah. The, um, go ahead, uh, Deborah. Did you have a follow up? Oh, no. I was waving. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess part of this that we should be 
addressing too is just like we are living well I, I guess you did address it Leslie we're living in a completely different petri dish now right so the students are not just coming to this conclusion on their own where there's like one in 10,000 who feel that they're born in the wrong body and they're having gender dysphoria that's severe and all this and then you know that's that would be a completely different conversation it, it probably wouldn't require all these policies and this nonsense because it would happen so infrequently that it, it just wouldn't even be like a thing right these because these policies as Catherine mentioned were put in like what like 10 years ago or something like that maybe not as extreme as they are now but back in that time there was probably like one in I don't know a thousand two thousand now there was a protest at a school board in my area in Ottawa, the Ottawa Public Board, where the gender consultant for the board was outside. She was protesting, you know, with all her trans activist um, friends there. And somebody from the anti-woke sides asked the question, how many kids are actually trans? like in this school board or, or, you know, in Ontario or whatever, how many, like, what is the percentage of children that we're talking about? And she stepped forward and she said, there are 13% of kids that identify as gender diverse or trans. So 13%, so that wow. could be like trans, non-binary, like all these things. So we're talking an enormous amount of, of kids. And this same teacher, because she was a teacher before becoming a gender consultant, um, had a grade four and five class where she uh, she had 30 kids and she posted on Twitter that seven out of her 30 students had come out to her as uh, trans or gender diverse or whatever. And she alluded to um, that being because of how inclusive she is and that they felt comfortable that they could come to her. Um, so, so that's like 20%. That's like 20% of her class almost. And, and gender consultant, like that the school has a gender. Cons there's so much here. Probably more than one too. Like there's, there's gender, like people have the title gender, this gender, that Gosh. all over the province. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's a, and it's a serious, it's a serious intervention for a serious concern. I mean, this, the idea of gender dysphoria that, that the child would experience such an, an, an extreme discomfort with the alignment of their physical body to their mental conception of themselves. It's a serious thing that should be like, I think Julia's talking about how um, if, you, if you take the kid down this path quite a ways before you introduce the family to this idea, then the family's had, having a big shock once the child is very far along and, and entrenched in this concept of themselves. Why wouldn't you, if this was such an enormous decision in this child's life, why wouldn't you, it, let's just even get on their side and take it, take it seriously that they really feel concerned about these kids and that they really want to help them to be as successful and happy in their lives. Why wouldn't they have a, a like an intervention where they work with the family to try to create the most uh, the most smooth process for this person, even if you're going along with the idea that, yes, we really legitimately have 13% of people who need some kind of transitional intervention, why wouldn't you involve the family to make this the most successful outcome for that person possible? It's just fundamentally incoherent. Their whole it policy. Goes best. 
government. Well, and you're also just getting into mental health. And to some extent, if you were to do that and have the school as involved, it's like then the school is way up in someone's mental health in a way that feels way beyond the bounds of what a school should be doing, right? If you if you did take it that far. And I think that Julia uh, sort of pointing to this too, like the fact that um, I think uh, I think it was Rob Henderson. He did a, a YouTube video on um, luxury beliefs, but he mm -hmm. calls these as luxury beliefs. And so what's happening here is these teachers. Um, and I, by the way, I have when I was, I've been talking to a number of teachers across the province, across the province, across the country, who have had to do this, have felt that they have been forced to socially transition, like call a child by their different pronouns, by by a different name, and the parents are not have no knowledge or consent of this, and the teachers feel that if they were to speak up on this issue, and they're probably right, they will probably get fired or disciplined. So they they go along with it, unfortunately, because that is the written policy, and they are required to do that. Um, but just getting back, so so the teachers, particularly the activist teachers, who it makes them feel good. They really feel like they're doing something good. They're putting this child on a path potentially for life, and that teacher has that student for one year and then walks away. But the parents are stuck with that, not stuck, but you know, obviously have a relationship with that child for life. And these uh, medicalization uh, can be very, very, very expensive process. And it's, it's potentially lifelong. So the teacher doesn't see the downstream effects of their actions and they have no responsibility to that child long-term. And, and, and this is what we, we really need to address. I think that's such a good point. It's such a good point. I mean, they're not in a position to know the child nearly as well as the the family, and yet they're making this massive decision in collusion and, with a with a minor. Exactly, and they're never going to have to see the impact of this thing that they've done, right? Like, first of all, they've gone there often. The teacher is telling kids that they all have a gender identity, and then they tell them what 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 are the options are right and then the kids will think oh well i'm i'm a little more boyish so i'm probably trans or whatever i probably would have thought i was trans probably a lot of girls would have thought they were trans if they were growing up today because a lot of girls are more tomboy or they want to play sports or whatever right so then they they pick this identity and obviously they get um social status for it they get teacher attention teacher validation and if that's something that the child's not getting at home it's very very enticing and rewarding so they're going to do it. And I think people underplay that a lot. Um, and then, you know, they, uh, I, I forget where I was going with that, but they like, they cement this identity, then the teacher affirms it and whatever. And, and then they go off to the next school or to the next grade and the teacher never has to deal with it again. Um, chances are that child is going to become an adult later who, uh, who will look back and say, what the heck does, did, this, did these people do to me? You know, I was just a, a girl. I didn't have to be told that I might be a boy or that I might be not a boy or a girl or all these things. I should have been allowed to be a child. I should have been allowed to learn to read and learn to do math and not be worried about all this oppression in the world that um, does exist, but has largely been, uh, you know, imagined to be way worse than it is and has has become the number one thing that kids learn about every day in school. So yeah, it's emotional manipulation in the extreme. And I I, I had this uh, parent on a, 
a little while back, a couple months back to talk about the curriculum. He'd had to buy this curriculum from the the textbook manufacturer because the school wouldn't give him access to it. And he did this under a pseudonym. And we went through some of the curriculum together that was being presented in an elementary school. And it's very clear how they are being incentivized to put themselves into these thought experiments about gender. And then they're being encouraged explicitly. There's this direction for the teacher in how to give verbal rewards and praise for giving these certain kinds of answers or showing, showing the right amount of um, concern for the the hypotheticals in which somebody's being marginalized and so there's this way of of very clearly manipulating children into wanting this bright shiny identity i'm curious how the having had the first set of the first march when on the 20th um what sort of effect that seems to have had so far are there any signs of i mean i know trudeau came out and spoke against against it i'm curious whether parties that be may have you know taken note or it was I feel like there's more resistance what, what do you think's the outcome of that or is it just more like at least people are mobilizing and seeing like hey there's a whole bunch of us yeah like at this point i'm feeling like it's just a culture war that has to be won like at the people level you know like politicians are not going to do anything until it is uh popular to to say the thing right and it's that's becoming more clear every day like our minister of education in ontario has just been virtue signaling all week about residential schools and stuff and like i mean i'm not saying i i don't know the history completely i know residential schools have been bad in a lot of ways they've also been good in some ways um but there's been a lot of misinformation about the history of um like Canada and Indigenous peoples and stuff like that and how there was mass graves and and children who were found buried and stuff like that which never happened so I just think there has to be a reckoning of like what is the truth with all this Indigenous history before we start virtue signaling about uh like doing better reconciling wearing an orange shirt and doing all these things like I don't know. I just, to me, like I see his tweets and they make me so angry because all he does is posture and act like, like he's actually like he cares and like he's inclusive and all this stuff. And he, he, he's actually also managed to get the conservative support because he's, he's put out a couple little things that say, oh, we should focus on academics, we should focus on writing and reading and math and blah, blah, blah. So people think that he's actually doing something, but then he just continues to virtue signal and nobody actually cares whether he's actually implementing policies to do the focusing on academics thing, which he hasn't done yet. So I don't know, I, I have not seen politicians rise up and I think it's going to take a few more months probably before people realize that like unless they say something they are not going to get elected again right I think oh yeah sorry Go I ahead, think Catherine. what like Chanel's like referring to is for people that are listening and are not quite understand like don't aren't up to speed on what's happening in Ontario politics we have a conservative party they're called the progressive conservative they are in power in Ontario at the moment but they don't act as they don't act like a conservative party. In fact, they've adopted many woke ideas. And I would say Doug Ford, who's the premier, the leader of the party, 
uh, doesn't seem to be um, up to speed on these issues. And um, very often they're allowing woke policies uh, to, to breed or fester in, 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 in terms of education. And there's other areas as well that, 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 that they're not uh, demonstrating true conservative values. So what we need to do is as parents, we need to rise up, we need to contact our local politicians or, or, or at least our conservative ones, and we need to apply pressure. We need to apply pressure and say like what, what Chanel was saying, like, we're not gonna vote you back in unless you start, you start to start to speak to what, what the issues are that, that are meaningful to us. And so what we're seeing is politicians are starting to speak on these issues. They're saying things, they're talking about parental rights and they're saying that parents should have rights, but until they can back it up legislatively or with firm directives, right now it doesn't mean anything. And so I do, there are some, there's a couple of conservative uh, politicians um, on the provincial level that are very concerned, that share our concerns um, and are starting to speak up. But again, that's because they're being flooded with, with um, uh, you know, letters from, from the community and very concerned about these issues. So we need to force, politicians are not leaders, they tend to be followers. Um, and so we need to get them to follow our lead and, and basically get rid of these bad policies and make changes legislative legislatively in, in our, um, you know, to back up our parental rights. Have any of you followed what's happened in the US school boards in terms of um, kind of flipping them back? Like I know it's fairly recent in the States too, but it definitely happened before, like the, the pushback happened before it's happened in Canada. Um, do you know, like, I don't know, how, how did that start? How did it go? Like, what can we expect in Canada pretty much? It, have any of you followed that at all? I have a little bit with watching what FAIR has been doing. Mostly they've been, I know they've been offering like trainings. So to teach people like, how do you run for board? Um, so I think there's a, and that's just one group. So I don't even know how many different groups are out there that are trying to basically train parents or whomever to um, maybe Moms for Liberty. I'm just trying to think of the different Fact, different approaches that people are doing to activate people to run for boards. And I, but I don't know that they are at this point um, you know, now dominated by people who might want to fight some of these things, but at least there's activity. Like my sense is there's activity. It's going to kind of be like one seat at a time. You know, it's kind of cumbersome, but there are, are people that are energized to try to do that. And then there are other people who feel like the system is just too broken at this point and are pulling their kids out in droves. And I kind of wonder, one of the things I've kind of wondered about is the impact, the negative impact made by people who are, who are soft on the ideology, like aren't into it, but aren't so opposed to it that they're, they're pulling out. So we were talking about, I think Catherine, you were talking about how get to know your kid's teacher some of the teachers are really going to be bulldogs for this. They're going to be big activists and some of them are not going to be. And I wonder about the ones who are th those of us or those people who stand alongside the ideology, not calling it out directly while not selling it in extremely either. Doesn't that also do some harm because it's sort of putting us putting a, a soft smile on it, signaling acceptance in a way. And I wonder if that doesn't in some ways 
it, it doesn't give people something to push back against. It's almost like a, an oblique sliding this along, sliding it down the road and, and encouraging a, a sort of soft acceptance of this. Are you referring to educators? Like, you, are you talking about teachers that are accepting this? Like in the, yeah. in the classroom, like not pushing it? Yeah, specifically like educators, but I think this in, in lots of ways socially, as, we, as we're going into this, you can kind of see that there's several camps. You've got the people who are really opposed. I mean, we did this a little while back, James Lindsay did a breakdown of this and kind of did like a taxonomy of the whole movement with the, the activists on one end and then the counter activists on the other end and then the whole uh the middle ground being populated by a couple of different groups yeah <laughs> 15 percent versus like 15 percent, and everybody else is like ah, yeah like, ah, gonna watch a movie now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh yeah well i mean i mean i think i think the problem is with the people that um i mean how do you activate these people that are like sort of like the skeptics that know what's going on uh but aren't but are not um compelled to actually you know speak up against it there's two ways to look at it like on the one hand we do need some moderating voices inside the school system like it's it's clear like with what's happened to chanel and i'm thinking um jim mcmurtry out in in british columbia who was basically fired for telling the truth about what was actually happening in, about residential schools and um you know just saying like speaking the truth as a teacher uh, can really have severe consequences and you could be fired. And is that a good, is that good? Or is that good to have that teacher in that classroom um, being able to sort of tamp down some of more of this radical content that they're seeing from other teachers in the school? There's that angle. It'd be nice if everybody could just stand up because my understanding is that on in, in the schools that I'm talking to, people are telling me that they feel like 85% of the staff is not okay with this stuff, is not on board with it. They could all just stand up at the same time and show that there's a clear majority that would be you know ideal but it's just not going to happen unfortunately many teachers are sort of those caring you know it's almost like the teaching profession is sort of self-selecting for a certain kind of person and they do tend to be more herd mentality more certainly caring um and that, that caring that that very caring nature is why many of these activists are you know Act, you know, doing their activism is because they actually do care. And they, mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry for getting off, off top, the initial topic of the question. I feel like I'm. No, I think you're, you're right on it. You're right <laughs> on it. Too, right? It selects like your field too, selects for this kind of uh, personality, I guess. And, and we have to remember too, that this stuff didn't just happen overnight. Like it, it was small. And at the beginning, it might've been just about real inclusion and treating people as just human beings and including people, no matter their sexual orientation, which a lot of people and myself included would agree with. Um, but now like it, it was incremental, a little more, a little more, a little more. And now it's at the point where they're telling you that you have to accept that everything is white supremacy. And, and people are like, oh, uh, like I didn't see this coming. And now it's like too late to say anything. And I have teachers who who message me. They're like, I I don't even know like what to, where to start. Like I don't even I I personally I don't know how they're surviving in the system. I think I would I would like just not be able to do it. But I have teacher friends who are still in there and they sit through it. And there's some of them have started to audio record uh, like to record stuff so that if anything happens, they have proof. Some of them are starting to speak up a little bit and the ones who do um, are saying that they are now getting support from some of their colleagues which is really nice um, 
I think those people who are going to put themselves out there, you can't expect immediate support, but if you do do it and you stand your ground and you do it in a way that's classy and kind of just makes sense, Mm -hmm. people will come to you and it it might take like a month or two but people will be like you know what like I actually kind of agree with you and that's what these teachers are seeing so and and a lot of them have said to me too like I'm at the point where like if I get fired that's fine I am just I I'm at my limit and I'm not agreeing to these things anymore like I I sit there I don't say anything but I I'm I'm at my limit is so, there room in the classroom for teachers who disagree vocally with this stuff? Yes, but I think increasingly, uh, no. Like, okay. in term, like, so I think for a long time, um, you could kind of do your own thing in your own classroom. You could leave it pretty apolitical if you wanted to. But I think more and more what we're seeing is that teachers are they are being recruited to participate in things to where they have to say no if like they have to actively reject the ideology if they're not going to participate whereas in the past it would have been more voluntary like hey who wants to come to this lgbt day and then you'd have like three teachers and you'd be like yay and now it's like okay we're doing the lgbt day so if you don't want to do it uh raise your hand like who's gonna raise their hand you know you're gonna you're gonna just get bulldozed. So that's what it's coming to. I, I was I was just thinking about the just wondering as you were talking there about like the those individuals that are keen to you know promote inclusion, those who are keen to promote inclusion for the LGBTQ community. One of the one of the things that came out of the Tavistock Clinic in the UK that was closed down. One of the sort of unsaid secrets of it was the fact that they were they were almost um, they were they were transitioning, if you like. Uh, individuals who were going through puberty and if they would have gone through puberty they would have probably desisted in their need to transition and actually the gender dysphoria was maybe evidence of the fact that they were going to become lesbian or gay later on in life and that feels like that could be an an angle to to promote maybe certainly individuals who are lesbian and gay and bi in in Canada we should know about what's happening in these schools because it could be that what we're doing is is just simply um yeah converting homosexuals away from being homosexual I mean you use that like I've used that argument with them before but it's it's really weird how when you're in this ideology you just don't really consider anything else and you don't want to challenge your own beliefs and it's so comfortable and so nice to just feel like whatever I think is good and whatever someone who agrees uh, who disagrees with me is uh, bad and like it's just it's just a comfortable belief system and like i think they really really believe that like children are born with this innate sense of whether they're a boy or girl and it doesn't even cross their mind that these things are socially constru- like socially constructed in the sense that we're using stereotypes to define the boxes and then we're saying oh oh i feel like i'm a boy because of these stereotypes um, and then they're it, selling you on medical technology in order to improve your your sense of self, mm-hmm. which is yeah it it's and you mentioned Chanel earlier about how um, these a lot of teachers are buying into this because of their their inborn sense of 
of compassion, that these are people who are, are, are sort of geared towards wanting to take care of and nurture. And then you drew a parallel with psychology and, and counseling and stuff. And I think that that's so, that's so correct. And also in order to really get swept up in this, you have to be a rather emotionally driven, low information person, I would think, or at least in that mindset, because as soon as you start to think critically about it, the whole thing falls apart because you're like, if you're in the very, very short term, it's like the teachers, Catherine, you're talking about how you're with them for one year. You don't see the long term. Does it make you feel good in that one year to make that difference in that child's life and make them feel seen and, and make them feel cared for? Well, yeah, that might be really gratifying. I could imagine that. But if you start to think, just go down the line, just look down the timeline, five, 10 years, what have you really done to this person? What have you done for them? And it, that, I guess that's the thing. It's David, you made a really good argument there. It's really logical. And yet we're dealing with a movement that doesn't have room for logic because it's all emotionally driven. I have one, I'm almost at time, but I am curious. Does it look like, you know, all these people rising up, does it look like there's this possibility of coalition building? Does it look like there's like a, a political party could form or, or do people have such diverse other interests that this can maybe arise for this topic, but maybe would not sustain itself for something longer term I mean, in the political there are, sphere? Yeah, there are coalitions uh, being built on, on this topic. And in fact, you're gonna see more, like we're just getting started in this country in terms of pushing back on this collectively. And so, uh, you're going to see another uh, protest happen in um, uh, October 21st. I I understand. I'm seeing I'm seeing certain groups already publicizing that, um, and I think that the, we're going to have another million march for for children October 21st or something similar, some sort of similar like in Ontario protest. or across Canada. Yeah, well, I'm getting rumblings that maybe they're trying to make it a worldwide sort of okay, like have wow. a spillover. Like I don't know. Uh, it's just this has just happened. You know really quickly and these things are sort of springing up and taking up a life of their own and new people and bringing new people on board and so yeah the coalition I find myself is like I I'm out there at the protest I'm there as an individual these are I have my set of beliefs and I want to make sure that people understand that I'm not um, anti-gay rights I'm actually pro-gay rights I've been actually speaking up and supporting of gay rights since like, you know, I was a teenager in the eighties, you know, I was, um, you know, the, the fact that people are calling me homophobic now is, you know, distressing because it's not true, but then they're even, you know, calling actual gay people homophobic as well. Just wanted to touch really quickly on what David said uh, regarding this idea of how gay children are now being sort of converted. I think that's what you're getting at it, to sort of trans, trans kids, right? Uh, well, we have Bill C-4 in our country, which is a law that prevents conversion therapy. But this also extends to people under the, um, the notion of gender identity and expression, which means that parents in Canada are prevented from taking a gender dysphoric or gender questioning child to a therapist to be able to question whether or not, like work through why they're struggling with gender dys dysphoria because that's considered conversion therapy. It also, however, prevents, and I, I, Jody earlier on in this live stream was talking about how there were actually gay children being going through conversion therapy. Uh, she was talking about in the nineties and it was a real thing and it, and it should never have happened. But this, this, this bill also prevents 
some children or, or some people or even adults who are gay from exploring therapy regarding their mm -hmm. homosexuality. And in, in a way, it's sort of like the, this, this legislation is sort of anti-gay anti because it's also, it's, it's really pushing gay kids, as David was saying, um, to question their, 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 their gender and perhaps decide to transition and, and sort of trans the gay away or whatever, you know, I'm not sure if that's the right way of saying, but, but I, I appreciate what he was talking about. I wonder if there's room for legal challenges based on the conversion therapy being attached to gender identity. I wonder if there's room for legal challenges against the schools who are pushing children to convert to trans identity or to alternative gender identities. Because if you look at some of the material, the way that it coaches teachers to teach the children, that looks like conversion to me. I mean, if we're going to just you know, you lay it out, they've pretty much laid out their playbook on how we're going to encourage kids to adopt these identities. Uh, and I just wonder if anybody's thought about that. But um, there should I think, be a legal challenge, I think. But yeah. it's, I guess, expensive and complicated. But yeah, well, I wonder. I wonder. If that's uh, yeah, there. It's just it's quite blatant when you look at it. The the way that they coach the teachers to give to encourage certain answers in the children and certain perspectives in the children. And we see the results of it with the 13 to 20% of these kids in, the, in some of these instances now uh, converting, you know, I, I don't know, I just, just a thought. So I know we probably have to wrap up, but I yeah. just wanted to say that our law society in Ontario has also been recently felled to like basically the woke. So even our legal system is under siege. So even if people were trying to bring cases, it's very challenging. It might be very challenging for them to, uh, mm -hmm. to win them, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really alarming. And uh, yeah, this is just, there's so much going on. I'm so grateful for the strength of people like yourselves. And that what we're seeing in Canada, I think is incredibly, uh, it's alarming, but also encouraging to see the surge of people standing up against this. And I really hope that that's contagious. And I hope more people will get off the fence and start standing up for this. I loved what you said when we were talking before Chanel about how it, it what, what, you had this really great, like, like, almost like pep talk speech. It's like, you're not going to go get killed. You're saying words, just say the <laughs> just, just don't, don't put up with this. You're, we're not asking you to march into battle. We're asking you to stand up and say, no, don't do this to my kid. Yeah, no, exactly. A century ago, you would have been, you know, recruited for war or something. Now mm -hmm. you're just, you might lose your job, but like, you can find another job. You can do something like people just, people really do need to stand up. Like it, it's just getting worse. Right. So and, and it feels good to tell the truth. So it might be hard for a while, but you get stronger. The more you tell the truth, you just, you, you build yourself up, right? And then you are capable of taking on attacks and attacks. And I've lived that myself. I'm sure everyone here has. You know, the second you step up into public, the public sphere, it's crazy. It's, it's insane. And you have to like, at one point, you just have to block it out and, and, remember who you are challenge your own beliefs but not let them tear you down completely and it becomes easier and easier with time now i really don't pay any attention to to the people who are just tearing me down i i think that they're i i wish them the best i think they're very broken a lot of people will you know just go out of their way to be mean to me or mean to catherine or whoever um I think that's a sad lifestyle. I wouldn't do that to someone, but um, hopefully they will, 
they will learn as, as things go along that we are not hateful and we, we just want everyone's individual rights to be respected, right? And it's part of being swept up in that emotional mob. And it's, yeah, it's, you're right. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. Would you remind people just one more time where to find you before we wrap up? You can find me on Twitter, Chanel Fall, or at Chanel Fa, which is on the screen. <laughs> and you can find me uh, on Twitter at Catherine Cronus. And you can also check out my network, uh, www.lighthouseforum.ca. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thanks, Deborah and David. We'll uh, not see you all next week, but we'll be back the, the Monday after. Sounds good. Thank okay, you so much. Thank for you. Thank you so much. All right.